The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the Jet Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed. It feels good to be back. And I'm joined as always by my man, Mike Luciano. Mike, how you doing, man? What's going on? It's been a while. Well, I'm feeling good now that the dynamic duo is back. Justin is back from his darkness retreat, or I guess it's more of a lightness retreat because he was down getting some sunshine. So now that he is back, which thank you to Scott Mason, the Play Like a Jet Podcast, who fought through some technical troubles, but... He definitely, I thought, put on a good show. So thanks for having Scott on. Thanks for filling in for Justin. But Justin is back. So if you want to listen to Justin and me, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube at The Jet Press. Make sure you subscribe and make sure you hit that little bell so you can get notified when we go live. Plus, check out all of our great YouTube shorts. Check out our interviews with Carter Warren, Jarrett Bernard Converse, who are going to be on the New York Jets in 2023 without further ado let's get into what's a pretty full show for kind of that may june doldrums uh the schedule release while uh we've known about it for a little bit this is kind of a new the new reality for jets fans is there's no more one o'clock games on sunday 14 times a year there are prime time games marquee opponents and I mean, the, the league really wants to get the Jets visible because they have quite the gauntlet that they got to run in the first six weeks of the season before the bye. I mean, they probably you can make a case they have to play like the three best teams in the league within the first. I don't know if I necessarily believe but you could easily make that case. So they start off on Monday Night Football, the Monday night opener at home. Aaron Rodgers first game that stadium's going to be crazy against the Buffalo Bills. Probably gets a little bit easier, right? <laughs> no way. Gets harder because they got to go to Dallas, who, for all their faults, still a really deep team. And then they go New England at home. All right, I know New England is not what they once were, but I mean, we both know that some sort of some sort of unusual goings on is going to happen in that game. It's the Patriots. It it just happens no matter what you do. Then Kansas City Sunday Night Football. That's going to be a, a barn burner. At Denver, I know they struggled last year, but Russell Wilson, Sean Payton, that defense on the road in that altitude, that's a game you got to worry about. Then the friggin' Eagles. Well, I still believe the Jets haven't ever beat the Eagles. Is that still true? Yep, that's the only that's team still they've true. never beaten. And then, and then they got the bye and then a road kind of home game against the Giants to kick off the second half. Now, it gets easier, obviously, in the second half of the year. Like, there's a stretch where, starting with – uh the home game against Miami, who's still a tough team regardless, the Black Friday game. Then it's Atlanta, Houston, Miami again, Washington, Cleveland. So at least at the end of the year, it kind of eases up. But man, those first few games, they are we're really going to find out just how good this Jets team is. All right, you're absolutely right. I, I think I mi- I feel like I missed the initial wave of like schedule discussion because I was away when it when it came out. But I remember literally being on vacation and I was like, I was curious. You know, I was kind of trying to stay away from work, but I, I was curious. So I, I checked out the schedule. And I was like, man, those those first six games are brutal. Like they are brutal. And I know, you know, the Jets have Aaron Rodgers right now. The Jets expect to be Super Bowl contenders. They expect to be one of the best teams in the NFL. So in theory, no game should be looked at as, oh, the Jets are going to lose this game. But realistically, we're talking about the Jets being underdogs in 
four of those first six games, realistically. I, I think the only games where they'll, they'll go in right now, and we can, obviously stuff can change. But right now, I'd say they'd be favored against probably against New England because that's at home. I know that I know the Jets still – they haven't beaten the Patriots in eight years. Like that's still – we should not be looking at any Patriots game as like, oh, the Jets are going to win that game, right? And the, I think they'll still be favored at home depending on what happens in those first two games. Um, but it's obviously not an easy game by any stretch. And then they'll likely be favored maybe on the road against Denver. I know on the road against Denver is tough, and the Broncos should be better this year, but I think on paper the Jets are a better team. But I don't foresee a scenario where the Jets are favored uh, in any of those other four games, at home against Buffalo, on the road against Dallas, uh, at home against Kansas City, and at home against Philadelphia. That's a gauntlet. Like that, you are going to find out just how good this team is. If the Jets go two and four, three and three, at least look competitive, and maybe maybe they lose like uh, you know a tough game to the Chiefs, tough game to the Eagles, and maybe you know throwing in a loss to the Bills. If they go three and three during those first six games, I think that's encouraging. Which that's crazy to say for a team that we're hoping wins eleven games this year, but it's just it's just how it is. Like that's just the way it is. Uh, it's also like you said. It's going to be weird, and I, as someone who, who unfortunately kind of does this for a living too, I like 1 o'clock games. I like having the day done earlier. The Jets have two 1 o'clock games before the month of December. That's ridiculous. That's Yeah, they, they have the – let me see. I was just looking at it. They have the 1 o'clock game against New England and then the 1 o'clock game against the Giants. They don't play another 1 o'clock game until December 3rd against the Falcons. Oh, God. I hope it's not like last year's Broncos where we had to watch – them score 15 16 points every single week in prime time yeah well uh, the nfl is definitely hoping the jets are not this year's broncos and they're hoping aaron Rodgers is not this year's russell wilson as the the jets are as well um, i mean they, they only traded for a veteran quarterback and have nathaniel hackett calling plays you know surely hey, hey, that that's, that's it that's where the similarities at and they have billy turner but that's it that's where the similarities end um but yeah it's it's Obviously, we knew who the Jets were going to play. We already knew the the caliber of opponents that were on the schedule. It wasn't going to be an easy schedule, regardless of how it shaped out. Uh, but it is very interesting to see the you know the the tough schedule, that tough gauntlet in the beginning of the year. It is also nice to have that bye week come right after those really tough six games because it kind of just gives the Jets a little chance to reset. And then they have that road game against the Giants, which isn't really a road game. So. You know, the Jets, I know they, they lucked out as well in terms of net uh, net rest differential. I know people are like, oh, you know, the Jets are the NFL's darling or whatever. They've been screwed over with that net rest differential a lot in the last few years. So it's nice to have it on, on the Jets side for once. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not a big schedule guy. Like, I, I'm not super upset that I kind of miss schedule release because schedule stuff, like schedule content is whatever to me. Like, I, I'll talk about it, and it's it's fun to talk about sometimes. But ultimately, we knew who the Jets are going to play anyway. And, and, you know, I don't think there's a ton – to actually break down. But the, the first six games is, is going to be interesting. I still do think that at its core right now, looking at the schedule, the Jets are an 11 and three team. And I don't really want to go down. You said 11 and three? What? 11 and six. Yeah. I, I know how to count. I, I thought it was 1974 where they played. <laughs> What's going on here? For a second. <laughs> You're going to cancel the last three. But uh, I remember looking at this schedule and I think three and three is kind of appropriate. Maybe. Because I, I think the only things I could probably pencil in for a loss is even though they're at home, I don't think they beat Kansas City. I think you're 0-1, and, and even though they're at home, I know that the Eagles are not going to be 18-0 and or 17-0. and However many freaking games you play in a season, they're not going to be 17-0. 17, it's 17 now. <laughs> but and some team's going to beat them. If you want to say, you know what, road team, Aaron Rodgers, like – I could, I would not be completely stunned if that happened, but I'm not going to assume that it happened. So that's probably going to be two. I think they probably are going to beat Buffalo on Monday night starting out. Wow. I Could think you that imagine that, the scenes at MetLife on, on September 11th? Obviously, all the history there with the Jets, with New York, with Robert Sala. Of course, he has history with, with that date. Uh, just the scenes at MetLife. If the Jets host the Bills, beat them in Aaron Rodgers' first game. Oh, my God, dude. Like Zach what Wilson beat him at home. He did. He did. He he did. He did. He absolutely did. That that's like, and I'm not looking at any game, even the Chiefs game. I'm not looking at that. I was like, oh, I think the Jets or the Jets are going to lose that game. The Jets totally could win that game, even aside from the whole like any given Sunday trope. Right? The Jets can compete with the Chiefs, or at least you're going into this year with the expectation that they can. So I'm not looking at any of these games as like, oh, they're definitely you know going to lose this or they're likely going to lose it. I think they totally can. But obviously, we got to be real realistic here and and see that there are some really tough games, especially early in the year. They did set it up for maximum annoyance, though, because once the Jets get through this tough early part of the schedule, and the buys after the buys, not even that much better because it's the Giants who won a playoff game last year, and then the Chargers, mm -hmm. Justin Herbert, and all those guys. 
that stretch at the end of the year, like the winnable games. Oh my goodness. Because they're going to already have a couple of losses stacked up. Every single bad play, every single turnover is going to feel like a gunshot right in your chest. Yeah. Like if they don't beat like Washington or Atlanta or Houston in that stretch, I mean, it's going to feel like three losses. They're, they're going, really going to hurt. There's a, there's a very realistic chance. The jets go into week 18 with you know a must-win game to make the playoffs very realistic and it's at new england and it's oh, on no. the road in new england do you know and this is going to be sort of like a, a cheating thing here do you know when the last time the jets not just beat the patriots on the road because the last time they beat the patriots on the road was the playoffs do you know the last time they beat them on the road in the regular season and i believe the caveat is also yeah the last time they beat them on the road in the regular season on the road in the regular season i'm going to go 2008 like matt castle Yes, it is oh. 2008. And if you want to uh, throw in one last caveat, that was an overtime. So the last time the Jets have beaten the Patriots on the road in the regular season in regulation was 2006. So <laughs> we're talking 17 years ago. Now, obviously, that's I was nine. Talking. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a lot of caveats there, of course. But that's kind of what we're talking about. You know, if the Jets are going into into Foxborough on you know in Week 18, the last game of the year, needing to make needing a win to make the playoffs. That's the kind of history that they're going to have to make. So none of those games are easy. I know that, you know, we're, we're talking about the second half is, is easier. It definitely is. But they're like you said, they're going to be must-win games. Like, you have to beat Atlanta at home. You have to beat Houston at home. You have to beat Washington at home. Like, those are the, the games that Jets are going to have to win probably later in the year. They're probably going to have to beat the Browns on the road, which, you know, they did that this past year in, in miraculous fashion. Uh, hopefully they could do Literally, it they needed a miracle to do it. They did. They did. So, so it, it'll be interesting. I, I, I'm definitely excited for you know the, the the layout of the schedule it's going to be a brutal start but we'll we'll learn very quickly how competitive this Jets team is going to be and now let's move on to something that's I think a little more stressful for Jets mm-hmm. fans because Jets fans already knew the opponents it was just the matter of mixing a match in the order so that's what that's what took the stress out of it for me now something that is stressful is the Quinn and Williams thing and I may need to perjure myself a little bit because I was kind of blase about it in the past because I'm just assuming like Oh, when they play Quinn and Williams, then this will happen. There's no way they won't pay Quinn and Williams. I still think they'll pay Quinn and Williams. But man, now he just now he's doing this is what the kids do nowadays, man. Not to sound like a grumpy old fart, but I mean, when they want leverage and they really want to turn up the heat, they delete all the references on social media. Quinn and Williams has now taken New York Jets out of his bio on Instagram. And he did that while retweeting uh, Dexter Lawrence's contract with the Giants, who Quinn Williams is a better player than Dexter Lawrence. They're both very good, but Quinn is better. Saying, without saying it officially, pay me. What's going on? And we've kind of outlined both last week I did, and then me and Justin before that, the parameters of what a contract's going to look like. And in terms of Average annual value, the number two defensive tackle right now is Jeffrey Simmons at 23.5 million. Deron Payne then follows at 22.5, and, and then Dexter Lawrence at 21.5. Javon Hargrave got 21 flat for his four year deal with the Niners. So Quinn, I think at this point, is saying, pay me more than Dexter Lawrence. And I think he's hinting, pay me more than Jeffrey Simmons, which would make him the biggest or highest paid non Aaron Donald defensive tackle in the league. And we can just rehash all the points that we've said about how he's a, the perfect scheme fit for this defense and he's dominant and he's ascending and he's, and he shows that the jets actually have a somewhat respectable internal development system because he was not this good when he got drafted. And now he's a dominant player. The main reason though, is like this stuff reverberates through the locker room. Like players know what's going on and they're saying they won't pay Quinnen after that year. What's going on? And I know that, Joe Douglas probably privately is saying like, look, let's just get this Aaron Rodgers contract restructure done. Let's figure out maybe if we need to get rid of Corey Davis or Carl Lawson for cap space reasons, and then we'll get back to you. But you can only do that for so long, man. I mean, that didn't stop the Giants. That didn't stop the Titans. That didn't stop the Commanders. And if it's stopping the Jets, I think that's a bad look for Joe Douglas. It is, and especially you have to consider history here too. Like the Jets have not re-signed a first-round pick since since Muhammad Wilkerson. That was the last first round pick that they gave an extension to. He was drafted in 2011, I think. Yeah, 2011. That's how long it was until like the last time the Jets had signed a first round pick. So you have the history there. And also, it's not like they haven't had first round picks worthy of being extended. Now, obviously, there's other factors in play here, right? Jamal Adams, great player. There's a reason he wasn't extended. Leonard Williams, very good player. 
there's a reason he wasn't extended. But still, when you look at that history and you look at how you know the Jets have kind of handled some of their their internal superstars, it's fair to be concerned. And I don't blame Quinn and Williams for being upset at the lack of progress here, especially when you have you know Joe Douglas go out to. Uh, you know, telling the media is like he's optimistic about the the state of the the situation you know, of the of, of contract negotiations and extension talks. I don't think Quinn Williams is optimistic right now. I don't think he feels the same way. I don't think Nicole Lynn, Quinn Williams' agent, feels the same way. It seems as though they're pretty frustrated with the lack of progress being made here, especially since this was supposed to be a priority for the Jets this offseason. That's kind of what they've told reporters. That's what they've told the media. That's what has been internally leaked that Quinn Williams was a priority for the team, this organization. It is not like those those words have not come to fruition. It, clearly, they've put this on the back burner. Uh, and obviously, like you mentioned, this is you know, this stuff resonates with the locker room. Like the, the we've seen a number of players from from Brees Hall to Mackay Beckton to John Franklin Myers. Pretty sure DJ Reed has tweeted it out. Uh, you know, the extent hashtag extend Q, you know, extend Quinn Williams like they these guys want him to get paid when they when as soon as they uh, uh, restructured John Franklin Myers contract. The first thing he I think it was on Instagram. The first thing he put out was extend Q. Right. He restructured his deal and was like, great, we now have more money. We now have more cap space so that we can extend Quentin Williams. These guys want to see Quentin Williams paid. He's a leader, even if he's not a, an outspoken leader. He's a leader in that locker room. And everyone knows just how damn good he is and how important he is to this team. So dragging it out like they're doing does no one favors. It also doesn't help because his price will continue to go up. The, the other part of it is that Chris Jones of the Chiefs is also looking for a new deal. And he wants to become the second highest paid defensive tackle in football. Quentin Williams is going to become the second highest paid defensive tackle in football. That's what he wants. That's what he should get. He's going to surpass Jeffrey Williams uh, or Jeffrey Williams, Jeffrey Simmons contract. He's going to surpass Deron Payne's guaranteed money. He's going to be the, the second highest paid defensive tackle in football behind Aaron Donald. And he absolutely deserves that. But if Chris Jones get paid, gets paid now, Quentin Williams, you know what his value is goes up like that goes significantly up because say Chris Jones comes in with a deal where he's making, you know, 25, 26 million over, over three years, you know, averaged over, over out over three years. Then what do you do? Like, then what does Quentin Williams make? Well, now you're probably talking 26, 27 for Quentin Williams because he's still going to want to be the second highest paid defensive tackle in football. So it does them no favors by waiting. It does Quentin Williams, obviously, no favors. It's not helping the locker room chemistry because clearly, guys, even if they're not furious about it, they're annoyed. And I don't blame them for being annoyed about it. You can use the Rodgers excuse. You can say, oh, that they're trying to work that out. They need to get this done. In terms of a panic meter, right, like how concerned we should be, I'm still very confident a deal gets done. I'm not at the stage where I'm like, oh, they should entertain trade offers for Quentin Williams. I don't think that's. I don't think we get to that point. I will be concerned if it's July, if it's training camp, and we still don't have a contract. That's, I think, when I'll be concerned. But right now, we still got a month until mandatory minicamp. That's kind of when, like, Quentin Williams, if he's holding out mandatory minicamp, the Jets can theoretically fine him. I don't know if they would, but they can. Uh, and if it's you know mid-June and he's still holding out, maybe the Jets would go that route. I don't think they would. Uh, and then if we get to training camp and he still doesn't have a deal, then I, I, I think it's fair to be genuinely concerned about the situation. But as long as it happens before then, this is just a lot of annoyance, a lot of nonsense for nothing. But I, 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 I sense the frustration from Quentin Williams, and I sense the frustration from Jets fans, and I don't blame them. Imagine what would happen in a locker room if you if a defensive coach who likely was brought in because he said this is my plan to make Quinn and Williams a star. I guarantee you that is part of why Sala got the Jets job was he said I got this perfect foolproof plan to make sure that Quinn and Williams works out. And then you do not pay him a contract. Mm. Not only would that just in the short term hurt a championship team that wants and needs him badly, but also Think about if you're so, are they going to do this again with Sauce Gardner? Are they going to do this again with Brees Hall? Are they going to do this again with Garrett Wilson? Like the young guys got to be freaking out because Quinn and like as much as we love those guys, that's one year of production. We've now seen, I think, because I think last year, 2021, Quinn was well above average. I think I would put that. For sure. He was not elite, but definitely I would say maybe a top 10 defensive tackle or close mm -hmm. to it. And then this year he's. I mean, Aaron Donald kind of has that title emeritus until he retires. But in terms of performance, I mean, Quinn was up there with anybody last year. And you're just going to, what, let him not pay him and then, what, flip him to the Bears for, like, a second-round pick? Like, like, what kind of GM is that? That's part of being an executive. It's not just Joe Douglas finding some big hog molly on the offensive line because that's his thing. Like, navigating your relationships with players and extending your players and keeping the vibes up. Like that's a part of it. It's a huge part of it. And Joe Douglas is going to flunk that part of his examination horribly. If this goes 
as you said, to like mandatory minicamp because that's when shit's going to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. And if Quentin Williams wants to stick, I mean, they could find him. And I know the new CBA basically makes it harder for guys to hold out and they make it, it's more punitive if you do that now. I don't think it, it'll get to that point, but he's at, he has a position where he could do that. And then what happens? They're screwed. We need to play Solomon Thomas every single time. They're going to give up 160 yards a game rushing every single time. If that's the plan. We're going to move Franklin Myers inside the whole time and really let Will McDonald kick it on the outside. Like, why are they operating like this? This is not this. Was, I thought Aaron Rodgers was the end of same old Jets. I don't think this is same old Jets yet, but there's there's signs of same old Jets. This is certainly we've seen same old Jets do this a lot with the few guys they had that deserve to be paid. Like, just clear the schedule, get him and Nicole in a room and go, look, let's just get this out. I'll pay for the coffee. I'll get food in. Just we're not leaving this room until we have a tentative agreement. That's what I would do if I'm Joe Douglas. What else you got going on right now, Joe? I, I think ultimately it's going to get done. And we're going to look back and be like, okay, I'm glad it got done. I wish it didn't have, we didn't have to go through all this nonsense, but I'm glad it got done. I, yeah, I just, it, it, it's annoying. Like that's, that's kind of what it just comes down to. I think it's an annoying thing that the, the, the jets are kind of dragging us out of the way that they are. You, you, you touched on it before you need to build up trust with your players. Like that's, that's kind of what it, what it comes down to. The jets as an organization have not really built up that credibility that they pay their players. Like they just, they're not seen as a team that takes care of their own for what if, you know, for better or worse. So a lot of that is due to the fact that they really haven't had a ton of star players to retain. Like, it's not like they, they're like the Baltimore Ravens or the Philadelphia Eagles where they've just drafted and developed a ton of stars and they can just keep paying them. Like it's, it's not like that, but the guys that the jets have had for whatever reason, they haven't necessarily paid. I mean, they've gotten, you know, someone like John Franklin Myers, they paid like, it's not like they haven't extended anybody, Uh, but you know, Leonard Williams, he was traded away. Jamal Adams was traded away. So when you don't have that reputation, it makes these contract negotiations, it kind of puts them under a microscope and you're like, okay, how are you going to handle the situation? And what sucks is that like, you have the market already set and you have the precedent already set. The Titans already paid Jeffrey Simmons. There was like a, a little bit of time where they were like Simmons was, was clearly not happy about how the negotiations, negotiations were going, but they worked that out. They paid him. The commanders paid Deron Payne. The Giants paid Dexter Lawrence for what I think is actually a very good deal. I think the Giants got Dexter Lawrence on a, like a, a very, very good deal because I believe he's a better player than Deron Payne and he's making less than Payne. Yes. Um, and so you got, you know, you have other young defensive tackles other than Christian Wilkins, every other defensive young defensive tackle has gotten paid this offseason, right? So you have the market set, you have other teams paying their own and taking care of their own. The Jets just haven't done it yet. I think they'll do it. I, or I'm confident they'll do it. I'm very confident that it'll happen. I'm still confident that's going to happen this offseason. I'm still confident it's going to happen before July, but it's just not a great precedent to set that you're kind of dragging it out and you're putting it on the back burner. I think that's really what it comes down to. It's a, it's an optics thing. They've made it very clear that Quinn Williams is not their priority right now. And I think that that's silly. And I think that Quinn Williams is right to be annoyed about that. Because what is the priority? All right, Rogers. All right. Yeah. He's Other the than that, well, you can't do two things at once. I, I agree. Like, what's, I, number I, I agree. Two? what's number two, if not this? I agree. I, Quinn Williams should have been a priority since since February, like since January. They should have worked that out before they even probably got a quarterback trade. You know, because if you work that Quinn Williams trade out or the the, the extension out, then, you know, the other extensions, they would have happened after Quinn Williams. You're probably paying Quinn Williams less than what you're going to eventually pay him. That, that price tag just continues and continues to go up. So, again, you're not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing Quinn Williams any favors. You're not doing that locker room chemistry any favors by waiting. So I'm still confident it'll get done. I think it'll be roughly around $25 million a year, probably four years. So we're looking at like $100 million in total, richest contract in Jets history, which is fair, and in probably like $55, $60 million guaranteed. I, I think that's probably what it's going to end up being. I don't – you know, know if it'll be closer, like 26, 27. If Chris Jones gets extended before Quinn, then yeah, we're probably talking maybe 26, 27, maybe even more. Um, so again, hopefully it happens soon, but I'm still confident it'll happen. It's just, it's just annoying. How much of this is it? All right. Not to be vulgar, a, a lower extremities swinging contest between <laughs> Joe Douglas and this AG. Cause Joe Douglas, for whatever reason, I guess it, this for some, I guess this is a good way to operate as a general manager is he is big on, this is what I think a player's worth, and if you don't like it, go pound sand because I'm not overpaying for it. I'll find an upgrade elsewhere. And I'm going to be honest, outside, like he's dra- he drafted well in 2022, and I like some of the 2023 picks he made, but I mean, that philosophy has not helped him build a team with a winning record yet. Like sometimes you got to bend a little bit. Sometimes 
you know what? Give Quinnen an extra million and a half a year average annual value. Like if it stops this, isn't it better than than this headache and all these consternations and seeing all these articles from Lions fans who want to trade from Quinn and Williams? Like, don't you just want to put a stop to this? And, and I think he will. I, I, I think, he, I honestly, I don't even think right now that the dollar figures are a huge holdup. I think it's just the Jets not prioritizing it. I, I think they are not, they don't see this as a, like, they're not in any rush. They don't see this as a priority. They're not trying to get this done immediately. Because well, I, if you it know, was close, wouldn't they have just done it? Well, they're, 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 they're essentially, like they're they're basically pushing back negotiations. That's the vibe that I'm getting right now. They're like, we will get to this, we'll get to this, we'll get to this. I'm sure you know that like they're not agreeing on the same number right now. But if they wanted to, if they sat down and said this is our priority, I I am very confident they could work something out within a week. Very confident. I just don't think that they're trying to do that right now. I don't think that's their priority. And I'll I'll say this, Joe Douglas, I I agree with you to some extent for sure. I think there's definitely a a fine line between being a Mike McCagden and just throwing around money and just being reckless with how you value players and Johnson five years. Here you go. (laughs) Resetting the linebacker mark with CJ Mosley, like Le'Veon Bell. Like there's, there's so many instances of him just ridiculously overpaying. I think Joe Douglas is willing to do that for certain situations. I'll use like the Elijah Vera Tucker trade up. For example, he paid above value to trade up for Elijah Vera Tucker. Like they gave up a lot to move up there. And it was, it was a lot of money to move up for a position, you know, as Seth Walder would say, like, that's, that's why he's so anti that, oh, that trade that name up on this podcast. Well, because so. he, he and other people that are like, you know, super into like exact analytics of draft picks. And, and they were against that trade because Joe Douglas did pay above value to move up for a non-premium position. So I think there's, there is precedent of him doing that, of him giving the extra length, you know, to try and get a player because he believes in their talent. And I'm pretty sure he will do that with Quinton Williams. I don't think he's going to be like, I'm giving you 24 million and that's it. And I'm not going to give you 25 or 26. I don't think that that's going to eventually be the holdup. I think it's just the Jets don't see it as a priority. They don't see it as a rush. They know they have him under team control this year. They know they have him under team control theoretically for another two years if they want. And I, as much as I don't love that, that philosophy, and I don't love that, that approach with your players, that's kind of how they see it, and I think that that's really the holdup. Now, on to a player who could still be impactful, but I think less so than Quentin Williams, obviously. Uh, Quan Alexander, a guy who emerged as a viable backup linebacker spot starter, which is kind of what he is at this point in his career. We all know he had his heyday under Robert Sala with the 49ers. Kind of bounced around. I believe he was with New Orleans for a little bit. He's a Louisiana guy, went to LSU. But... At this point in his career, what he is is a fine, average linebacker who can make some run stops. He's athletic enough to co- hold his own in coverage. He's pretty much, I think, the most average player in the league, the most average linebacker in the league. Like, not really a standout, but you know what? It's hard to find many guys in terms of just pure depth who are better than a guy like Quan Alexander. So I don't want to like ride for this guy to the point that if he's, you know, every Jets tweet, it's we well, sign Quan Alexander. Like, grand scheme of things. Quan Alexander not going to impact a single game in terms of winning the loss unless he does something profoundly stupid, in which case he could impact the loss. But I don't want to, I don't want to put that on him yet. I mean, look, it's it's May seventeenth. You know, there's there's not a lot to rally behind at this stage. You know, <laughs> well, the the Jets' plans to sign Quan Alexander took a little bit of a hit because Quan Alexander visited with the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team that I mean, I don't want to pretend like I'm the expert on Steelers' defensive schemes. I do know some of their stuff just looking at how some of the players they drafted, like Joey Porter, fit in. It seems somewhat similar to Robert Sala. Obviously, Brian Flores leaving changes the calculus a little bit. But it seems like a team that could win and could make the playoffs. I know it sounds ridiculous, but every year we say the Steelers are going to fall apart, and then they almost make the playoffs every year. Mike Thomas still has never had a losing season, I believe, as a coach. So that's a legitimate competitor for the Jets. They can't. Ju- this is not just him going to a team that's tanking for the number one pick to get one last big payday. This is a legitimate team that could steal him away. And uh, I think right now momentum might be trending towards him signing with the Steelers. And the Jets are at their top deputy linebacker for an aging C.J. Mosley, who if he gets banged up, things could really go off the rails. Uh, I'll put this to you, Justin, though. If Quan Alexander leaves, because I think it's kind of trending towards him maybe getting that Steelers thing, or even just for the sake of argument, let's say he does get the Steelers gig and he ends up in Pittsburgh. Do you think a guy like maybe Jamie and Sherwood or Hamsa Nasruddin, probably Sherwood, I think above Hamsa, is ready to step in and be that backup linebacker? 
I think he would have to be. Like, I don't, I don't know if I would. That's like that is not the route that I would want to take with this Jets defense. I would definitely want to bring in a Quan Alexander, even if it's not Quan, maybe another veteran like a Miles Jack or someone at least to just have that veteran presence in there. Uh, but I think the Jets are much more likely to just roll with the young guys on the roster, and that sucks because I, I like Jamie Intro. I think in the limited snaps that he's had on defense, he's actually impressed and he's played well. I think the Jets have kind of been grooming him to potentially be that Mike replacement for CJ Mosley, maybe in the future. I mean, obviously time's running out at this point on his rookie contract. He's only going to have a couple of years left, uh, but I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him take on a larger role. I just think that it would, would make a lot more sense for this team to bring in another veteran. And Quan Alexander is definitely the best candidate for that. Obviously he was here last year. I don't think this is a hot take. I think he was the second best linebacker on the Jets last year. I think he's better than Quincy Williams. He's more consistent than Quincy Williams. And so obviously Quincy Williams is going to be one of your nickel linebackers. Him and CJ Mosley have those, those jobs on lock. You know, maybe you'll see guys like Chuck Clark or, or Jordan Whitehead play that role a little bit. And I think that is, is an underlooked part of this that, that maybe they, you know, one of them could potentially fill in at linebacker if need be. Um, but I, I definitely would love to bring back Juan Alexander because I just think he's like, he played 49% of snaps last year. That's he played a bigger role than people realize. Like he was out there, there for games. Right, exactly. And that's and that was like that's the whole reason the Jets were able to get him for as cheap as he was at that point. Because they signed him in August, like the beginning of August last year. They signed him as a basically a veteran minimum contract. But it's because he hadn't played he had played more than 12 games once in seven years. Right? Like he 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 was obviously the guy's always injured. Uh and he played a full 17 game schedule last year, which was very surprising. The entire Jets defense was super healthy and it, you know, it 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 was true for Quan Alexander as well. So I think, like you said, he's an average starter at this stage. I think he's a fine third linebacker. He definitely fits their scheme. Obviously, even before he came to the Jets, he had experience with Robert Sala dating back to their days in San Francisco. So he's played in the scheme a lot. Uh, I think he's a good player, and I'd very much like the Jets to bring him back. I'm hoping this is like an Al Woods thing where, you know, Al Woods visited with the Browns, didn't end up signing with them, and then eventually signed with the Jets. So I'm hoping this is like that where, you know, Quan Alexander had his visit with the Steelers. As of right now, I, obviously, it's Wednesday, and you know how these shows end up going for us. Quan Alexander's probably going to sign with the Steelers immediately after we end the show. Uh, but as of what we know right now, he hasn't signed with anybody. He's still a free agent. And I don't want to say anything that's going to make this, uh, uh, you know, like a, a cold, an old take exposed, right? But I, I don't know if he's going to sign with them. Like, we haven't heard anything. And generally, if somebody is signing with a team after a visit, they sign the next day or something. It's been a few days since that visit now. So, Hopefully that's good news for the Jets. Hopefully he ends up taking that visit with the Jets. And maybe that's the the old take exposed. Maybe he ends up signing with the Jets like tomorrow or something. That'd be great. Uh, but I, I definitely would love to bring him back rather than relying on the young guys like Jamie Sherwood, Hamza Najraldeen, and they drafted Zaire Barnes. They have Chaz Surratt. Like they got a couple, a few young guys there. I think Sherwood would be the most likely candidate. Uh, but I would, I would definitely like to bring in Quan or even another veteran. The weird thing about Quan or the Jets linebackers just specifically, like in a macro way to observe them, is I think looking at their depth chart, I know Quincy Williams got that contract. If his last name was Quincy Jones, I don't think he gets that contract. I isn't, think isn't Quincy Jones like a musician? You know what? I think he might be. I think he's a record record producer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just look at that. All right. Oh, there you go. All right. So all right. Qu- and he's the father of Rashida Jones. I'm sorry. Okay, never mind. Wow. Okay. So are you maybe you pay up for a guy with that celebrity status? But what about uh, it? Fine. No, Quincy Smith could be not. If his name last name wasn't Quincy Williams, I don't his think brother Quincy wasn't Quinn and Williams. Linebacker anyway. So don't worry. then, uh, then he. I don't think he gets that contract, and not not in a pure nepotism way, because I think he's proven he can hang on an NFL roster and be an effective player. I think committing to them in the way that they did. Kind of made it look like, oh, don't worry, Quentin, we got your brother locked up, kind of thing. And then a contract that was probably a little bit above market value because we're looking out for you, Quentin. Wink, wink. By the way, sign that contract. So, I think if they let Quincy like leave in the off season, and they paid Quan that same contract to be the starting linebacker, I don't know if I'd have a huge problem with it. I wouldn't. I think Quan honestly is a better player than Quincy Williams. Now the problem then becomes, I don't think the Jets view him that way. I, I they don't they don't yeah, like, I don't think either Quincy Williams or Quan Alexander is going to make or break just the defensive scheme and or just how the Jets operate but the fact that they had a player who is familiar with the coaching staff is clearly a scheme fit addresses a position of need and it seems like everybody likes like he's a good dude he plays hard it seems weird that they would be very hands-off and so committed to Quincy Williams just purely from a schematic and 
have a play standpoint. Mm-hmm. The, the Jets evaluate their linebackers differently than I think a lot of fans and analysts do. And honestly, a lot of differently than a lot of other teams. They really, really prioritize athleticism and really prioritize upside and flashiness more so than consistency. They're okay with the occasional mental lapses. They're okay even with the missed tackles more so than I think other teams would be. Uh, and, and it's part of it is, you know, do it through the scheme that, that they run. And I think a lot of it is just also Robert Sala's philosophy with linebackers. Of course, you know, he had Fred Warner in San Francisco. Fred Warner, the best linebacker in football. I don't think that's a debate. I don't think By a mile. Not I don't think there's anybody in his tier. Uh, they don't have a Fred Warner, obviously, in this team. But even someone like CJ Mosley, like he'll have his he'll have his his occasional lapses, not necessarily mental lapses, but he misses his share of tackles. You know, so does Quincy Williams, so did Quan Alexander. They prioritize guys like that. And so for that reason, honestly, even if they didn't bring back Quan, I could totally see them going out and getting someone like Miles Jack, who I believe he crossed over with with Sala in Jacksonville, right? He had to have. I think uh, maybe early in his career, or was he in double, San Francisco by then? I'm going to double check that. So he was drafted in 2016. Sala was in Jacksonville. I think that might have been the last year. I think 2017. Yeah, was okay. So he yeah. crossed over one year in Jacksonville, where Sala was the linebackers coach. So he does have history with uh, with 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 Miles Jack. Another guy out there is like Deion Jones, who we're talking about similar players here, right? They're big names. They're former stars and studs at their position who are definitely well past their prime. They're not even old, but they've just they've not aged super well. They're God, still Deion Jones. That was that was so sudden. I mean, they were not like best linebacker in the league, but people were like, "Oh, is Deion Jones like a consistent Pro Bowler?" And yeah. then I don't even know what happened. I don't think did he get hurt. I don't, I don't even know. I, I think he did have an injury, but I, I, I a lot of times we, we've seen this so much, and I think we've talked about this on the show as well. How many off-ball linebacker contracts have just aged so poorly? And Quan Alexander's another one. Like he's another example of that, of just guys who were pro bowlers early, early in their career. They peaked very early. It's almost like running backs. Like that's that's kind of what the off-ball linebacker position has become. It's almost like running backs where you just you have them early in their career and then you don't really want to sign them to that big second contract because then you get guys like Zach Cunningham, like Miles Jack, like Deion Jones, like Quan Alexander. There's so many examples. And it's so weird that this free agency, like how many big money like Tremaine Edmonds getting that big five-year deal, TJ Edward, like it was the year of paying linebackers. I know. I, I'm very interested to see how the Tremaine Edmonds contract goes because if history repeats itself, like if if he's following the trends of recent history, it's not going to age well. It, it's it's not. I guess Roquan Smith is kind of breaking the trend a little bit because he was really good with the Ravens last year. He got he got paid. The Ravens paid him right or hundred million dollars. Yeah, Roquan they paid Smith him. Got, but again, Roquan Smith, I think, is better than all the people we just right. Listed. He was really good with the Ravens after he was traded to them. But a lot of those those off ball linebacker contracts aged so poorly. So I, I don't know. That's we're kind of going off on a tangent here. But uh, I think that you know Miles Jack definitely fits what they'd be looking for in that third, you know, in that Sam linebacker. I mean, he's probably more of a will, I think, uh, but he, he could play that Sam role, I'm sure. And obviously he has experience with Sala. If they do miss out on Quan, I would much rather bring in someone like Miles Jack, even if you're still saying, hey, he's going to compete with Jamie and Sherwood and Hamza Najuddin in camp, or even Chaz Surratt, or even Zaire Barnes, whoever, right? If you're saying we're going to have a big open competition, that's cool. Just bring in somebody who has a little bit more experience and also just get a little more depth because they're thin at linebacker. They signed out of their undrafted free agents, which we'll talk about momentarily. Uh, they brought in, I think, three or four linebackers because they're just so thin. They just didn't know how to have the numbers. Uh, and so I would love to bring in a veteran, just one for the extra depth and two to have that extra veteran insurance. And, you know, if Quincy Williams goes down, now you're not starting Hamza Najaldine and Jamie and Sherwood at linebacker because that's not good. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let's flip the script. Let's go offense this time. Let's go talk about Brees Hall. Because Brees Hall, as we all know, recovering from his ACL injury, and they've really been handling it carefully. Almost like when, like, you know, sometimes when baseball pitchers get Tommy John, you know, sometimes guys are back in seven months, sometimes guys are out a year, and then usually with a younger guy, like, I can't remember, uh, like, just recently, I think Kumar Rocker, who's a top prospect for the Rangers, got Tommy John, and they're talking about not, him not pitching again for maybe like a year and a half or two years because you're just that extra cautious with a younger guy. I think that's the that's how the Jets are kind of operating with Brees Hall. Like Joe Douglas the other day said it's a possibility that Brees Hall plays week one. And for a lot of Jets fans were going, all right, that's good. Like he's a, he's working good in his recovery. Let's go Brees Hall. Maybe this is just my cynical Jets fan brain working, but I'm like, like that's bad. I mean, to tie it into an early point, you see the schedule that they got in the first six weeks? Like that's when you're not going to have Brees Hall is – Kansas City, Philly, Dallas, Buffalo, New England, like you don't have your best running back for a guy who runs the ball all the time and splits carries a lot. That is that wasn't as encouraging to me, especially because the backup right now, I know they got Israel Abanacanda in the draft, but I don't think they view Israel Abanacanda as a guy like if he if he's getting like over a hundred carries or 150 carries his rookie year, something's gone horribly wrong. For as much as I love him as a prospect, I think it had like a third round grade on him. He's there to be the number three back ahead of Zonovan Knight and to maybe compete for the kick returner job. The Jets may have to throw him in and get like backup snaps like week one. He might get 10 carries week one. That's the position that they're in because of Brees Hall and not because of Brees Hall like it was his fault, but because of how long it takes for Brees Hall to recover from this injury. So I'm still expecting big things from Brees Hall this season, but the fact that we only might see him week one and we're probably not going to see him till week, what, like four I think it's probably like a realistic date. And even then you got a guy coming off an ACL injury whose game is predicated on speed. There's, there's some red flags going off there for looking at the Jets running back room. I I think the expectation has been that Brees Hall is ready for week one. I expect him to be on the field week one. Now I don't expect him to be a hundred percent. I don't expect him to get 20 carries week one, but I, I do think he'll be ready for week one. I know a player's word isn't always the best, but he's come out and said that he expects to be ready for week one. Uh, I believe it's been reported, like I think Zach Rosenblatt reported, that the Jets expect him to be ready for week one. I don't think he's going to play in the preseason. I think that he'll probably be be on the PUP list for for most of training camp and even the preseason. Uh, but I, I do think he'll be on the roster week one. I, I That's everything that we've heard indicates that he's going well in his recovery, which is great because obviously, like you said, everyone recovers from major injuries differently. You know, not everyone can be Adrian Peterson and rush for 2,000 yards six months after tearing your ACL. Like that's not everyone could be that, right? But I think with Brees Hall, we're seeing that even though he, I think it was, you know, it was mid-October or whatever last year that, that he tore his ACL, the expectation seems to be that he'll be ready for week one. I think Joe Douglas is just kind of being cautious about it. They don't want to be overly optimistic with their injury diagnosis or, you know, diagnosis, whatever, whatever. Diagnoses. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because of, they've been burned with that so many times in the past. So I, I really, honestly, I don't want the Jets commenting on injuries for the foreseeable future because yeah. they have, they have said a lot of things that turn out to just not be true. So just, I would rather than be overly pessimistic with every update that they give than say, Oh yeah, we, he's going to be there for week one. And then it's week five and he's still on the IR. Right. So I, at this stage right now, I'm cautiously optimistic that he'll be there for week one. But like you said, he's not going to get a full workload. Like he's not going to be your bell cow back probably early in the year. At least you wouldn't assume so. So those guys, you know, behind him, Michael Carter, Izzy Avanacanda, Zonovan Knight, they're going to get work. They're they're going to definitely see their fair share of snaps. Uh, I like the Jets running back depth. I don't think there's an obvious, definite like RB two who I'm very confident can handle the load. But I'm I'm confident in Izzy Avanacanda as a complimentary back. I really hope Michael Carter bounces back because he was genuinely very good as a rookie and just lost a lot like last year, whatever it was. Obviously, he was done. Him and Zonovan Knight were done no favors by the offensive line later in the year because it was just falling apart by that stage with all the injuries. Uh, But Michael Carter is still a very 
productive back when it comes to like breaking tackles, very physical runner. He's, he's a tough runner. He doesn't go down to first contact a lot, but the explosiveness just, it wasn't there from him last year. And, and that's, and that's why. weird. Cause when he was at North Carolina him and Javante Williams, he was like the, the speed home run hitter guy. And right. Javante Williams was the power guy. Yeah. I don't know if it was, if it was like some kind of ankle, like there's, they haven't really revealed that he was dealing with any kind of injury. We haven't heard that, but obviously it's the NFL everybody's hurt all the time, right? So maybe he had some kind of foot or ankle problem that was bothering him. We don't know, but I'd love to see him bounce back this year and, and really claim and hold on to that RB2 role. As much as I love Izzy Abanacanda, and I think it's totally reasonable that he takes over that RB2 role at some point during the year, I'd love to see Michael Carter step up and be like, you know what, this is my job and I'm not I'm not losing it. But we'll see. I, I As far as like Brees Hall expectations, I don't know if it's reasonable to suggest that he's going to be like a 1,500-yard rusher this year because I don't know how, how healthy he's going to be. But I think as long as he you know, stays healthy and he doesn't re-injure himself, God forbid, that I, I think he's going to be your bell cow back sooner rather than later again. I think they'll take it slow with him early in the year. But before long, I, I think we'll see the Brees Hall of old. See, I'm just generally a lot more pessimistic on the running back room than than I think you are, especially when you hire Nathaniel Hackett. And although he's known primarily as the Aaron Rodgers guy, he's also known as a guy who loves running the ball. That's what he did in Buffalo. That's why he was successful in Jacksonville. And then you know what? Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, both of them performed pretty well under Nathaniel Hackett, especially Aaron Jones. The problem that I had, because also wasn't Carter, like he wasn't just bad. Didn't like I think PFF have him as like the worst grade of running back in the league or or Maybe. close to PFF running back grades are weird though. Like they Brees Hall was like rated poorly by PFF. It was really weird. Yeah. Like they're they're I'm pretty sure. I don't want to that might be that might be false, but I'm pretty sure that was true. Uh but on on top of that though, like I remember really that like, whole on, on top on top of when the whole Jameer Gibbs story came out, like obviously that was like a meltdown. Like, oh my god, Jets almost took a running back. And then I'm thinking about it. Like, number one, Jameer Gibbs was a wide receiver on like 30% of his snaps at Alabama. So he would have been more like an offensive weapon kind of thing. And then I look at the running back room and your top three, let's just look at your top three guys, not counting a band of cannons, they didn't have them yet. Mm-hmm. You got a guy coming off a ser- an ACL injury that not everybody comes back from, especially a running back. Like there's, there's Adrian Peterson's and then there's some guys that just the running back versions of Deion Jones, who just lose it and never get it back. You get Michael Carter, who I know that you say like, Oh, he could have a bounce back year. I'm a little less inclined to give a running back who was picked in the fourth round, that sort of developmental runway. Cause running backs just have such a short shelf life. Sometimes like, I'm just not going to keep, like how am we going to keep hoping for Michael Carter to break out if he doesn't like start off hot this year? So that's and then Zonovan Knight, who had started off hot, and then the second half of the year, I know the line sucked, but you know what? Like one point nine yards a carry. I mean, there are guys whose lines suck that don't average one point nine yards a carry. So if they, I'm I'm looking at that, I'm like, you know what? I almost understand it because at that point you would just have a one-two punch of Hall and Gibbs that we would have at least been. And then you say, you know what? Next half decade, running back is set. As of right now, they're putting a lot of responsibility on Brees Hall. Now, I think healthy, he's shown he can obviously handle that. I mean, remember that Packers game? He was just, people always talk about the Denver game with the big run. That Packers game where he had that 30-yard touchdown run on a botch play where he was just dodging and evading dudes? Like, that, you can't teach that. That's just instincts and talent and skill and speed. Like, we've seen what he can be at his best. And if he gets back to his best, Jets are set. But, I mean, I think people are... Because ACL surgeries are so like advanced now and they're not what they were, like back in the old, you got an ACL injury, you were done. Yeah. You were done, done, done. That was the end of your career. It's like Gail Sayer, you're just done. Mm. Like it's not not everybody just bounces back like that. It's not like you just go, they go whip up you whip you up a new ACL. I'm not a medical professional, as you could tell. <laughs> Once they whip you up a new ACL, it's not that everybody's magically back. So I, I hope that Brees Hall recovers well. I think he will. I think fully healthy even though he misses a couple games i don't think it's unreasonable to expect maybe close to a thousand yards maybe like in that 4.1 4.2 a carry kind of neighborhood i think that's reasonable but i just don't like the fact in general that the jets put so much responsibility on a guy who's going to be playing basically with one leg healthy for most of the season i get that i i get what you're saying i, I like you said i think i'm more optimistic about the whole the entire state of the running back room i think that michael carter is a fine player i i think after his rookie season a lot of people were like oh maybe he can legit be an rb1 i think that was kind of where people saw his projection maybe as like an rb1 slash rb1b or whatever in, in like a rotation i think after last year i don't think we're saying the same thing um but i still think he's a fine player and a quality player and if you have an actually competent offensive line which for 
you know, at least half of last year, the Jets just didn't have, like they did not have it. Uh, and again, a lot of that was due to injuries. And that's, that's the, the, I think that's the biggest reason why the line struggled as much as they did later in the year. Also poor quarterback play never helps. Um, but I think that that was a good, a good portion of the the reason for the, the struggles in the run game was just the offensive line was terrible. Now, obviously Brees Hall was able to overcome some of that early in the year. Also, they didn't have all the injuries they had earlier in the year because you had Elijah Vera Tucker, and that was huge because once Vera Tucker went down, that he went down that same game that Brees Hall went down. So the entire running game basically disappeared, other than like a couple of of you know good games from Zonovan Knight. Uh, once once Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker got hurt, so it wasn't just Brees Hall. Obviously, you're talking Vera Tucker. You're talking you had no Mackay back in the entire year. The tackle position was was obliterated. So I'm more confident about the state of the running game because I'm more confident that the offensive line is hopefully not going to be decimated by injuries as well and i i just i think i'm I'm very cautiously optimistic about Brees hall's recovery it just seems like it's gone very well everything we've heard says that he's going to be ready for week one uh and normally you won't be saying that unless you're very confident about it i think it's totally different than someone like you know javante williams in denver who is you know i I don't know what hit the latest on his injury is but i'm pretty sure it's a lot more serious than Brees hall and i don't think he's gonna be ready for week one so you know, obviously, we're not going to know until he's out there. We're not going to know until Brees Hall steps on the field. But I'm cautiously optimistic about the state of, of you know, his injury, how how well he will play this year, how how healthy he'll be, and the state of the, the running game as a whole. So no matter what happens with Brees Hall, the Jets are definitely going to try to supplement this roster on both sides of the ball with some undrafted free agents. And they brought in a real smorgasbord of talented guys, including a couple names I'm really stunned didn't get drafted. Obviously, some of the big names include Jason Brownlee from Southern Miss, who was given a ton of guaranteed money. I think Justin said before the show, like the second or third most money that any undrafted free agent got in this cycle. Big possession receiver out of Southern Miss. He's kind of like a Denzel Mims type, maybe a Mims replacement if everything goes well. There's a lot of big names on there for an undrafted class, and don't scoff at these things because you look at your roster. This is how you build out the back half of your roster with these undrafted free agents. One guy that I was honestly stunned went undrafted, especially because even if you're a high recruit, even if you stink, sometimes the league will just be like, all right, let's flip a sixth-round pick on him and let's just see what the hell we got. And no one did this with him was Trey Dean. And Trey Dean, a safety out of Florida, I believe a former five-star recruit as a defensive back, both him and Rashad Torrance, who was his safety partner. I think either of them got drafted. Torrance didn't get drafted, right? Uh, if he didn't, I'm surprised. I don't I, think he I, did. I, I think I had fifth round grades on both of them. I don't think either got drafted. He didn't. He was signed by the Rams, though. But that is that is surprising okay. if he wasn't drafted. So he didn't get drafted either. Trey Dean is the more surprising one. Now, I get reasons why his stock fell because he is 200 pounds and he ran a 4.7540, which is very, 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 very bad for a safety. And also, there were a lot of times where he's dropping back in zone cover and he just kind of freezes. He doesn't know, do I break? Do I stay? Do I go back? Like, there are a lot of like mental miscues that you got to clean up. But that seems like something you could work with. That seems just figuring out how to understand the game, how to read things. That seems like if you're a good coach, you could probably just instill those things in him. Trey Dean is 6'2, 200 pounds. That's a big safety, strong guy. 24, 25 reps on the bench press for a defensive back at 200 pounds. That is, that is really pumping some iron. 37 inch vertical. 1.6 10-yard uh, split, which I would take for a safety. And I know the 4.75 kind of scared everybody. He plays a little bit faster than a 4.75. Like, like that was just a bad run. If you tested him again, I'm sure he's in the 4.6 range, which isn't ideal, but for a bigger safety, I don't think anybody would have any problems with that. And again, five-star recruits, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes they go to – I know he was a five-year guy, but he – went through a bunch of different coaches and a bunch of different roles. So he, his thing kept changing. Like sometimes it's just, you get the right set of hands on him, and, and miracles happen. So I think Trey Dean's one of those guys where if he just latches on as like, kind of like an Ashton Davis replacement, like a special teams guy, I think that eventually he could kind of work himself into some sort of role with the defense proper. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a former top recruit who played 62 career games at Florida. Like that's a problem. I know Florida has fallen on some hard times, but that's still a prominent, prominent SEC school, very experienced player, top recruit who is a much better athlete than like you said, his, his combine uh, numbers would indicate. I mean, he ran, I just looked it up. He ran a four, six, seven at his pro day. 
which is 0.08 faster than, than what he did as combine. And, and so. Rob says in chat, he had two labral tears in his hip when he ran. So. Exactly. So yeah. he, he, he definitely like his combine numbers were bad, but if he didn't have that bad combine, he gets drafted. Like, I think we can confidently say that. Um, so definitely, I would say he's probably the most, either him or Brownlee is the most high profile undrafted player that they signed. Uh, and he has a legit shot to make the roster. I, I'm going to talk about someone different, but I, I will agree with but you there. Re- that, real quick, before you move on to the guy, I just had this thought. What if the Jets say, you know what, let's just have you put on a bunch of weight and make you like another Jamie and Sherwood? They totally could. They He's big enough. Like he's 6'2". He's big enough. He's got good length as well. If he puts on 15 pounds, he could totally play linebacker in this scheme. For sure. Maybe he's your Quan Alexander replacement. Maybe it's Trey Dean. Ooh, uh, who really hit, really hitting my uh, pleasure nodes there. But right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I could have uh, said any uh, other word except pleasure, uh, and it would have been much better. That and I said that. It was a PG podcast, Mike. It was a PG podcast. Um, <laughs> Jet Press but, After Dark with Justin Fried. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, but yeah, I, I genuinely do think he has a legit chance to make the roster, especially because, you know, assuming he doesn't move the linebacker, those backup safety spots are there wide open. Right. Like I love Will Parks. I got his jersey. I love that dude. But he's not a lock to make the roster. Ashton Davis is not a lock to make the roster. I know they, they drafted Jark Bernard Converse in the sixth round. He's not a lock to make the roster. Those backup safety spots, they are wide open. And I think Trading has a legit chance to make some noise. Uh, the guy that I'm going to focus on, though, and, and uh, Rob says as well, him or Marquise Waters. That's another guy. I love his nickname, Muddy Waters. That's, that's what they call him, Marquise Muddy Waters. He's more of like a downhill box safety type. But I think he's also someone, especially if he makes an impact on special teams, that could push for a roster spot. I believe both him and Trey Dean got, I think it was 100000 in guarantees. So they both got a good, good amount of guaranteed money. They got legs up. Yeah. And actually, really quick, you mentioned this before. Um, like, not only did Jason Brownlee get like a lot of guarantees, the Jets, I believe I saw that they gave out the second most guaranteed money to undrafted players this year behind the Kansas City Chiefs. So they, they're investing a lot of money in these undrafted players. And it wasn't just Brownlee. Um, I'll pull it up really quick. I had it in some tab. Here we go. Uh, it was. Uh, Nope. I, here it is. Okay. Uh, Brownlee had 246,000 in guarantees. And the guy I'm about to talk about had the second most in guarantees. And it was Xavier Gibson, wide receiver out of Stephen F. Austin. He's someone who, again, I also was a little surprised he went undrafted. I know he's undersized. I know he went to a smaller school, but his tape was really good. His production was really good. Also a former three-star recruit too. So it's not like he's a completely unknown uh, prospect. He came to Stephen F. Austin. He originally uh, committed to SMU, which is, you know, that's a legit FBS school. Uh, but bad grades that I think it was academic reasons or something that, that oh, really? kind of forced him. Mm-hmm. I think it was academic. Uh, also, he was like a cornerback too. I believe he was recruited. He's like five, nine, one sixty. He was like a nickel cornerback. Yeah. He was like a nickel corner. Uh, but oh, corner. Exactly. I thought you said quarterback. No, well, that would be like high school. I about that. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, Gibson was a super, super productive player at Stephen F. Austin. He had over 800 yards in all four seasons. He had like 2,500 yards total over the last two years. He's small. He's, he's 5'9", 189. He wasn't invited to the combine, but he runs a 4-4. He's elect- an electric player out of the slot. Also has experience returning kicks and punts. And I think that's where his potential route to make to a roster spot could be. If he comes into camp, and he shows because the Jets don't really have a kick returner or a punt returner right now. They're going to be having an open competition for both of those jobs. And if Xavier Gibson comes in and shows that he can be that guy and he, you know, he shows out as a special on special teams as a return man, I think they got to give him a roster spot. And it's totally feasible that he can make the team as maybe that sixth wide receiver if they carry six. Uh, and and he could be, you know, you're you're I know they just you know they brought in Randall Cobb, but he could be another backup slot. You know, I, I think it's totally feasible that he can make the team specifically because of his work on special teams. I, I think Xavier Gibson is going to be like this year's Greg Dorch, where it's just an undersized, small slot oh, receiver. What an amazing compliment. Greg what, Dorch. Well, in terms of, oh, first of all, great callback to, to Greg Dorch, right? What a shout there. Was uh, he like five, six? Greg Dorch. Yeah, Gibson's a little bit bigger. He's like 5'9". But Dorch was like that undersized, speedy slot receiver who, you know, fans kind of fell in love with. Also a return man. I think we're going to see that from Gibson. Also, by the way, Greg Dorch, he ended up having a role at the Cardinals. He's actually 52 catches last year. What the hell? He he has carved out a a career, man. He's carved out a career. They were desperate, man. They had a lot. The Cardinals had a lot of injuries last year uh, in the receiving 52 catches. He was like he was a legit like fantasy option at, at points. Uh, so like Greg Dortch, you know, that's, that's not the, that's not a terrible uh, it's not a terrible comp. I don't think that's that's disrespectful at all. Uh, but I, I think Xavier Gibson can totally be that guy. And the fact that the Jets gave him a decent amount of guaranteed money shows me that they they think he can make a roster. Same goes for Jason Brownlee, who you know I don't want we don't got to talk about him too much. But you mentioned it before. 
I totally think he's coming in and he's your direct competition for Denzel Mims. If Jason Brownlee comes in and actually plays well, and I think more importantly, shows that he can play on special teams, I would not be surprised at all if Brownlee beats out Mims for a roster spot because they're basically occupying that same role. Um, especially with Mims, he's on the last year of his rookie deal now, right? This is the last yep. year of his rookie contract. Yeah, so they have no real commitment to Mims. There's no reason why they can't move on from him. Uh, I would not be surprised at all if either Brownlee or Gibson end up making a team. And with that, we are going to call curtains on Justin's return to the Jet Press podcast after a well-deserved vacation. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it may be that you get your podcast. Make sure you find us on YouTube also at the Jet Press. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you guys hit that little bell so you get a little notification on your phone whenever you go live. So, Justin, feel free to take us home now that you're back in the saddle. Let's see if I remember how to do this. I, I it's it's been it's been a week. I, I don't know, man. I don't know all if I can off do your it. rhythm, man. Off your equilibrium. I don't know, but anyway, thank you all for joining us on the show today. You can follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Luciano. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin T Free. You can follow Jet Press at the Jet Press. You download the Jet Press podcast wherever you get your podcast, as Mike just said. Also, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, hit that notification bell. You guys know what to do at this point. We stream live every Wednesday at three p.m. Eastern time, even in the off season. Thank you all for listening to the Jet Press podcast. I've been Justin Freed. That's been Mike Luciano. See you guys next time. See you folks next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.